And we're off. And we're back. We're back in the driver's seat. You're taking all my lines. I know. By design. We've kind of abandoned our headphones. I know. <laughs> well, like, what happened again? You lost yours. And then, no, they were stolen. Yeah. They were stolen. And then, That's right. yeah. And then Judy Berry ran and bought me some new ones. Very nice of her. But I think we kind of realized that we don't really need them. But just, I think it's like what the professionals do. And so that's we're right. Faking it, trying to be cool. It's part of the in crowd. I actually, yeah, I actually don't really understand the full benefit because I just hear you the same now. And we do a test before. Anyways, here we are. Rosemary in the house last week. Did you listen? I listened to about a quarter of it. And then I need <laughs> That's to, like most I need to finish it. <laughs> I guess what most people do, they listen to a quarter of it. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually, I was listening to it, tried to listen on the plane. And then I was in California, as you mentioned, and it's not, Steph, it puts all the work on Steph to manage Gianna on the plane. Yep. So I got about a little bit into it and then was called the duty tag team Gianna on the distraction of the plane. Tag team Gianna. I love it. She, I bet she's a, was that her first plane ride? Oh yeah. Yep. How'd that go? It actually um, went really well. The frustrating part was we had to postpone by two days cause she got sick. And then, so she was probably 90% better. And then the Friday that we left was that giant late May snowstorm. Mm. And so we had tried to time everything, food, um, like we were taught that if you try to give the baby a bottle when you take off and um, kind of plan for arrival, it helps pop their ear when they're like drinking the bottle. Yeah. So we were trying to time all that and then nap time. And it took an hour to de-ice the plane. We sat on the tarmac and every minute I was like, we are just, this is going to backfire. Like we're not prepared for this. Uh, but she actually did really well and uh, was kind of the hit of the plane. So it was, it was perfect. I was very stressed. Never know. I don't want to be that family with the kid screaming and losing their mind, but she was good. Okay. And starting to yesterday, I missed it. Steph sent me the video. She's starting to walk, pulled herself up, was on a walker, like by herself, like speed wobbling through the, through her bedroom. Wow. I know it's escalating. Now I just got to fully baby proof the house. I know now is a different, that's going to change the game. It is. Yeah. She's going to be running around. So yeah, she's cruising. Um, it's good to have you back. I, it was great having Rosemary on the show. I really enjoyed having her. Yeah. I've also realized though, we really, it's just, we have a good, we've got chemistry. Patrick. We do. We do. <laughs> we've got that deep chemistry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. No comments on that one. No, no. We'll leave that one there. We'll leave that there. I have a quick prayer request. Oh. Instead of a shout out, I think I want to do that this week. Okay. Uh, so uh, as, as you know, if you listen to this, probably. So I'm the pastor of two parishes, which has been a real challenge. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It really is. And I'm trying to learn right now how to be a better leader. Uh, amazing parish has been, maybe shout out Nate. I don't even know Nate's last name, but he's helping me. He's coaching me with Amazing Parish. And he's been really helpful. Uh, but prayer could just be St. Louis, our other parish that I'm the pastor at, uh, great place, uh, needs a lot of love though right now and need, needs to grow, frankly, just very yeah. honestly, we, we need to grow that parish. Our, 
I don't think we have a single mass there that breaks a hundred. And I'm just feeling the pressure of that, you know? Yep. And I'm trying to say, okay, God, like I'm going to, I'm going to give everything I got, and, but I want to be smart about it. I want to burn myself with the other two priests out and just feeling a lot of pressure right now. About yeah. That. And so for all of you out there, just would uh, ask for your prayers. It's super interesting to watch. And, and yesterday you pulled out some stats there's a lot of parallels between when you first got here in, at Lord's yeah. to what's kind of currently, and there's just been so much change at St. Louis, what's currently happening there. But now it's a different dynamic because yeah. you have everything going on at Lord's and trying to quickly replicate that. Um, it's a big lift. It's a heavy lift. And when, when Lord's turned around, of course, God did it, you know, and a lot of, a lot of great people came together to to transform this parish. Rosemary's one, uh, Matt and Daniel Rudolph. I think Mary Rogers had a big hand in it. Uh, Brittany Brown, John O'Brien. But anyway, the um, oh, and I have to say, Brenda Prohaska was huge. Mm. But um, I only had one church, and so right. all all I thought about every day, uh, basically, was Lord, how do I? help this church be what it's supposed to be. And it's just, it's a different game now of Lords is very demanding. It are, it was very demanding. It still is. And in a good way. And I also have to figure out how to grow St. Louis. So, um, you know, it's not, it's ultimately not up to me and I know that, but, uh, it's up to God, but there's, there is the human aspect. We don't want to over spiritualize it. A lot right. of, you know, it's easy to over spiritualize things. And there are things that we can do to, to help churches be healthy and grow and uh, reach people for the gospel. So anyway. It's kind of interesting too, coming from the Protestant world where like Red Rocks, there's five locations, virtual, blah, blah, blah. But noticing the difference between um, and learning about canon law and like there's so much difference in delegating task for a pastor at a Protestant church than what is actually allowed for you um, as a priest. And so it's a, yeah. it's a huge task having two parishes where it's like yep. a lot rides on the pastor. Yeah. And just, just the median load, you know, it's like you have to have two finance councils. Yeah. Uh, you have to have two yeah. and like just planning for like liturgy is like, but to have two Holy Thursday masses, two Good Friday masses, or not masses, but liturgies, two Easter vigils, and uh, there's just there's a lot of things like that, and we try to combine wherever it's possible. But uh, but we just and I mean I do think God's going to do great things. We've got some kind of good things coming in the wings at St. Louis. Uh, but anyway, yeah, what, not that it's the topic, but when and how do you know when and how canon law? came about like i know it's there's actually canon lawyers um, um and when i think i i to me it seems uh, wrong word choice but kind of questioning like how purposeful like it's not like you're changing state laws or you're defending you know like um, it's a very specific thing to go to school become a canon lawyer i yeah. don't know the process involved in that but it's like that's a it's a whole thing like it's real yep. um, among church life, but it's, it's a different ball game. When I started to learn about that, I was like, what, what is this? 
Yeah. So if you don't know, so canon law is just, <clears throat> it's ecclesiastical law, so church law. And it's, it's ancient. I mean, it, the church, I don't know the whole history. J.D. Flynn over at Pillar Catholic, yeah. the Pillar, he's a canon lawyer. Right. And so he would know the whole history. Uh, it's wild. But it's, but it's very ancient. I mean, I, I think it's, um, it grew out, I think, a lot of, of Roman law. Okay. And so when the Roman Empire collapsed, the church becomes really the, the, the institution that's upholding justice in the world. And so law, you have to have law if you can have justice. And that's, that's important. In ancient languages, uh, justice is the same word as righteousness. Oh, wow. But it just makes sense, right? We get, laws are good things. We have to have them. They're not you know, the only thing, but they're important. And so the canon law developed, and a lot of Western law in the modern world is based off of canon law. Canon law helped develop modern law in a lot of ways. Whoa. Um, but it's slow moving, you know? And I'm not an expert on it, so I don't want to say too much because I'll yeah, yeah. say something that's probably not true. As you said that, I forgot we have a topic, but real quick, <laughs> the um, Archbishop Cordelion coming out strong on Pelosi. Yeah. That yeah. happened while I was gone, and I was dying to ask you about that, but that was, that's my guy. I love him. Yeah. I don't, I mean... I don't really know I, much about I, him. I, I don't know much about him. <laughs> I like his last name. I like his last name. I like that he did what he did. A lot of us feel that um, this is just such a clear-cut issue. Yeah. And then, honestly, that people like Nancy Pelosi, or frankly, Joe Biden, should have been excommunicated a very long time ago. Right. Like, and, this, and they weren't excommunicated. I should make a distinction there. Uh, excommunication is a canonical in Gosh, canon law. It's I canon it. law. It's a penalty of canon law. This is something more pastoral. It's a little different. I don't know all the nuances to that. But anyway, I'm glad he did it because if there are not, if advocating for abortion at every single moment does not put you in a place where you should not be receiving the Eucharist, I don't know what does. Yeah. I mean, I could think of some really awful, terrible, disordered crimes, but, um, this is, this should be pretty easy. And I get, you know, some of the bishops are saying they're making this political. I don't think so. Today's the feast of St. Justin Martyr. St. Justin Martyr died in the year 165. And he has two letters that he, that we have still. Uh, one is the uh, dialogue with Trifo. Uh, the other one is just called his apology. I know you look so intrigued by this. <laughs> Trifo. I love it. Well, and what's, por- what's important is they're, they're witnesses in the second century. So I forget the exact years that those are written, but m- middle of the second century. So we're yeah. talking somewhere long, between like 130 and 150. Long time ago. Long time ago. Proofs there. And get this. And when, uh, and Justin Martyr is a great uh, witness to the Eucharist and the churches already in the second century, normative worship of Christ in the Eucharist. In the second century, Justin Martyr says, uh, we call this food Eucharist, and no one can partake of it unless they have been baptized, uh, they uh, have become obedient to Jesus, and they live according to the what we teach. Mm. I mean, pretty and, clear. Yeah, and so so some some bishops out there, you know, and I I don't think I don't think we should just fully dismiss out of hand their concern. They're, but they're worried that this is political. And they're kind of like, well, this, you know, abortion isn't the only issue. And that's true. 
but it's but it's a very clear issue and it's yeah. a very big issue and we have we have catholic politicians that are very prominent who publicly cause scandal they they muddy the waters because they they you know Nancy Pelosi's on the uh, in the news all the time talking about what a great catholic she is yeah and if nothing else i'm just i'm really glad that Corleone did what he did because this is a clear issue. It is right. not new. It is ancient. Joe Biden comes out and says Thomas Aquinas. That's too much for this podcast, probably. But he'll say, you know, Thomas Aquinas thought abortion could be okay. That is so misleading and such a distortion of Aquinas. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But to explain that, you have to understand metaphysics. And it's, it's just a little tricky. Aquinas didn't... It has to do with... Aquinas didn't think that um, an embryo... He didn't know that it was developed enough. He didn't think it could receive the form of a human soul at a certain point in pregnancy. But that's because he didn't know anything about embryology. Yeah. And in the Middle Ages, they just don't know what we know now. And given his philosophy and theology, to say that Aquinas would be pro-choice is so insane. It just angers me. Right. But if we ever wanted to do that, we could have Dr. Selner Wright come explain I that on the podcast. So She's an one of the leading experts in the country on this. And when people use Aquinas to attack the church's teaching, I just want to scream. But Yeah. I, I mean, the biggest problem for me is especially just the publicity behind it. But I, we've kind of said it before, like when you become Catholic and you, to the Justin Martyr point, you're in that sandbox. So whether it's public or not, if I have that belief, I know I'm not supposed to receive. Like, yeah. and, and it's, you know, there's the, um, uh, consciousness examination of conscious for confession. And you go yeah. in there and there is relatively black and white on certain topics. And there's a lot that that is one that is pretty firm. Like there's not a lot. So to say it's political, I don't see that. I see that as if I was in that stance, I would hope you would call me out and, and yeah. address that with me. So I don't know. I thought that was. I was, I was pretty stoked on that. Yeah, it was, I'm proud of him. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go. And it takes courage. I mean, he's the Archbishop of San Francisco. It takes a lot of courage. Good for <laughs> you, Coeur d'Alene. tough spot. Is it Coeur d'Alene or Coeur d'Alene? I don't, either way you're winning. <laughs> That's all I know. Um, yeah. Either way, I am stoked. Yeah, what a stud. Yeah. All right, all right we, we should get to our question from Elizabeth Shea. That's right. Oh, Mike, two quick shout outs, real quick. Two quick ones. Um, Derek wrote in, uh, and his girlfriend, Tara Barnes. Oh, yeah. um, but Derek is new to Denver. So welcome to Denver. Wrote in to us. Great message. Thank you. And then last night, um, James and Tracy Murphy. They're great. They're awesome. Yeah. And James was, um, you know, Tracy, thank you for making him listen. And uh, James, that was awesome. So now to our topic. Wives dragging husbands you know, deeper into their faith for 2000 years. That's right. way to go. <laughs> Here we are staying strong. Um, okay. So we, this one was pretty good. We tried to record this a while ago, but it's been a question that I've had. We had a little audio um, issue. And then Elizabeth reminded us recently about our topic. Can Catholics be rich? Hmm. And I find it, it's been an interesting kind of like tug of war in my mind of um, achieving wealth versus there's also a message of like simplicity, 
and um, obviously, you know, not being not idolizing money, but also like it's almost glorified sometimes of like you're not striving for wealth and and it's like living somewhat in poverty. Um, it feels like that can be applauded and and how it should be, but then also somewhat demonized on the money front and success. And so it's a weird tug of war. Yeah. In my mind. And you were with some uh, gods of California this past week. Yep. Does Father Garansky would talk about the gods of California? That if you go to California, every and the last time I was in California, everyone drives a BMW. Everyone is gorgeous. They yep. all have, you know, they don't age. They have flat abs, yes. washboard abs. That's just like right. Me. That's right. And uh, <clears throat> Garansky would talk about the gods of California. But I mean, you were, you were around some, some coin, if I am not mistaken. Recently. Yeah. It, uh, it's kind of mind boggling, um, not to dive in too much, but yeah, we, it, seeing homes that, um, are on a cliff overlooking the ocean, um, 30 plus million dollars is pretty wild. Um, but we also went to, it, it was a, such an interesting experience, but we ended up finding uh time before our flight to go to mass where kobe bryant went um right before he died mm. with his daughter yeah um so there was like a sentimental thing but it was i mean it was in corona del mar and newport and it you pulled into that parking lot and it was like a luxury car dealership yeah. it was actually interesting though it was packed uh, and which was really impressive i didn't expect it was a, a great service, but they actually did a really good job too of like welcoming people. They had a huge donut welcoming deal outside, um, super pretty. But it was like that contrast of, I mean, it was very, very affluent. Yep. Um, and so then it kind of brings up this like, is this okay? Like, is this allowed, um, especially with like the teachings or like what you read in the Bible of Pharisees and power and what comes with yep. could come with money. Yeah. Yeah. So the basic, <clears throat> the basic kind of one liner on money for Catholics and for the new Testament and old as well, actually, is that money is not evil, but it is dangerous. Okay. Yep. So it's not inherently evil. A lot of people will say, you know, isn't, isn't money the root of all evil? No, that, that passage says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yep. So there's a lot of biblical um, thought and writings about wisdom around money. And uh, it's a big part of the gospel. Jesus talks about money a lot in the gospels. And he embraced poverty in his life. Yeah. And I think it's really important for Christians to think about why did he do that? Um, but Christians also do not outright condemn money, just straight up. Money's money's kind of neutral. It's a little bit. What are you going to do with it? You know, it's a little bit like the Correct. internet. Yeah. You know, you'll have people out there. Oh, the internet's evil. Well, the the internet can lead to some really significant evils, but it's not inherently evil. It doesn't right. have to be that way. You can use the internet in a morally responsible way. Yeah. Uh, money is one of the great three idols. Uh, Money, sex, and power really are the the three big ones, or at least you know you could say 
comfort is kind of like money because money yeah. affords comfort or security. Maybe security and um, comfort are almost like uh, derivative idols of money. Uh, but money, pleasure, power, those are really the big three. And so they're, they're dangerous because we tend to think if we have them that we don't need God. And there's a temptation for us to, to worship money. Why you mentioned something there? What was why did Jesus choose poverty? Hmm. Probably Ed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is no, it's, it's the right question. It's really related. Um, like I've never really, I mean, I thought about that. Like it's obvious, but that when you said that, I was like, wow, that's relatively powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. Why is Jesus? So, so there's a great passage, Second Corinthians eight nine, is the one of the, the great passages in the New Testament about this. Uh, and Paul says, if I, let's see if I have it memorized still. He says, uh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, made himself poor, so that in him you might inherit the richness of God. That might not be verbatim, but it's close. <laughs> I don't I, Yeah. I don't I know actually, if I actually listened to a word you said. I was watching you actually <laughs> recite this, and I'm like, gosh, yeah, how do you do reading. this? I feel um, like I'm getting rusty because I have to be like a manager and a leader. Yeah. And so I have less time to like, I'm trying to, yeah, anyway. Dive into scripture. Story. But yeah. It is, yeah, okay. But the, the, that passage touches on the heart of the issue. So the world, the, the heart of this question, Elizabeth, is this. It's uh, to be a wise Christian and w- with your finances. So we shouldn't be a slave to anything. Mm-hmm. So Dave Ramsey, I, th- I don't know if I stole this line from him, but probably. But I stole it from somebody, that's for sure. But money makes a great servant and a terrible master. Ooh. Money's a great servant, it's a terrible master. So yeah. money should not be something that holds anxiety over your head. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. And money brings anxiety. Yeah. And for most people, when they're anxious, there's lots of things that can cause anxiety, but money usually is central to anxiety. You don't want money to have that kind of power in your life. And so, so you're not, you know, you're not called to be stupid with money. You're called to be wise. So as Catholics, you, and uh, I know Elizabeth, she's married, she has kids. You guys have a responsibility in your state in life to take care of your family. Yeah. So you need to be wise about that. But you also be careful because it's it's very easy to justify a worship of money. And I know in my own life, this is certainly true. It's like, you know, you become a priest and you're like, oh, I'm going to give everything up and live a simple life. And (laughs) I try to do that. And then like give these wonderful Catholics who love their priests and want to take care of them. Right. So we we have to be careful about that temptation. But that passage gets at the heart of it because... Here's the deal. What the world says is will bring you happiness is that next bigger house, uh, the nicer clothes, the better gym membership, the better vacation. And we're, we're all that way. I think this way all the time. I think if I just had more, mm-hmm. then I'd be happy. The gospel logic though, is what second Corinthians eight, nine says, uh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake became poor. 
Jesus loves to empty himself. We're always looking to fill ourselves. Yeah. And as um, I think it's the uh, Ephesians say in Acts 17, is it the Ephesians? Pretty sure. But anyway, they, they say these Paul and Barnabas have turned the world upside down. The Christianity turns the world upside down, and it does. They're right about that phrase. Luke is highlighting that phrase as, as an ironic statement. The Christians do turn, Jesus turns the world upside down. I always thought what would make me happy was a fullness. But actually, you know what makes you, you know what's going to fill you up is being more like Jesus, who the logic of the Christian is love empties you. And that, that logic runs all through the New Testament. The letter to the Philippians is all about this. There's Jesus, Paul shows how Jesus emptied himself. And then Paul shows how because of Jesus, Paul has learned how to empty himself. And that emptiness, ironically, is what life is about and where you find joy. Side note, you mentioned upside down. Saint, the, 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 I learned yesterday the whole St. Joseph in your house, upside down, bearing. What, what is that? Seriously? Second of all, um, <laughs> that has, that has nothing to do with that. Our, blue, you said upside down and Barnabas and blah, 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 and it just hit me. But that's a superstition. I'm just going to say it. That okay. Superstitious. That was that. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the people superstition. are like, Oh my gosh, bury St. Joseph upside down in your yard and your house will sell in three days. <laughs> and there's, I know after this, I know a bunch of you are going to email me and you're going to talk to me and be like, but it really worked for us. That's a coincidence. That's superstition. That's not faith. Perfect. Um, cause the other part with the, the money piece is I feel like sometimes if you start to focus on like this, trying to live with poverty and, and not idolize money in that sense, we are all blessed with talents. So there's a way in my mind that I could see that it, you would want to suppress yourself when on the flip side, if you believe in Christ and it gives you that freedom to take risks and do certain things, money could be a byproduct. Yep. But there's a way in my own mind of like, okay, well, I don't, it kind of scares me. I don't want to do that. So I need to play in this weird comfort zone of not overachieving. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, excellence is good. And if you live, if, if you obey the teachings of Jesus and if you live a virtuous life, you're likely to be successful. Yeah. Right. Virtue. And like St. Augustine will say this, or I'm sorry, it's actually Aristotle that says this. Aristotle says it is not wealth that produces virtue, but virtue produces wealth. Ooh, I like that. Right. So if you're disciplined, yeah. if you live a life of moderation, you work hard, you're honest, you're prudent, all these kinds of things, you're likely to be a person who makes headway in life. Yeah. But so, so I think there's an, another example is to be in Luke chapter 12. You got to know, what is money for? What's it for? And so in Luke 12, Jesus tells the story of a rich farmer who stores up extra grain for himself. And this can be a great analogy for us. Like, should we say it? Right. I mean, I think according to your state in life, you need to save. I save, by the way, like I wrestled for a long time about whether or not I should have a retirement account. Okay. Yep. And for a long time, I resisted it. I do. I have, a, I have an IRA. Um, and I think priest price should just be responsible, but you just got to be so careful. Like Jesus, why is Jesus poor? Here's why. So Origen says this. He has a great quote where he's talking about, you know, in the creed on Sundays, we say, God from God, light from light, yep. true God from true God. Um, Origen talks about how 
Jesus could be poor because he received his very life at every moment from the Father. So if you think of the two analogies I'd use here, would be like one would be light. That's what Origins working off here, light from light. Yep. So the light that's here, we look outside of the daylight, the sunshine, it's constantly renewed at all times from the sun. Yep. Okay. And so the, the temptation for us is, is that, so Augustine, we've talked about this in the podcast before. Augustine says that well, what all of us want to be is we want to be like God. And every sin, is, he says, is a perverse imitation of a perfection in God. So in other words, we want to be like God, but in a distorted way. So God is, like the desire to be rich is actually rooted in our desire to be like God. Because God is infinitely rich. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? God is, he, he is eternally, infinitely rich. He has everything. He is everything. Not in a pantheistic way, but you know what I mean. So we want to be like that, and that's a good desire. But here's the thing. Jesus turns that upside down, and the Trinity helps us understand this. So the way that light comes from the sun, if you could think of sunlight using analogous language here, emptying itself, the sunlight can constantly be poured out because the sun, the S-U-N, constantly pours out more. Yep. And so Jesus, every moment, he doesn't have to cling to things. He doesn't have to store money in barns. He doesn't have to store in grain in barns. Because he knows that he receives true life at every moment from the Father. And this is how the Trinity works. Not just in Jesus' earthly life, but for all of eternity, the Father pours his life into the Son. And the Son doesn't have to store that in a barn. Right. And so being a Christian means that somehow, and, and this is why Jesus is poor, is that it's because of the Trinity and it's because of who he is, is that God, God is infinitely rich in a certain mystical sense. God is eternally poor because he can lose himself at every moment. Got it. And so the world, what the world says is, is cling. You know, you, you imagine, I can't think of a good pop culture reference right now, but you know, somebody like grabbing a bunch of money and holding it to their chest. Yep. And so in, in Luke 12, the farmer who stores up all that wealth, um, God says to him that night, you fool. Tonight you will die, and the things you have stored, who's, to whom will they belong? And he says, such is the person uh, who, has, who has gained riches, but is not rich in the things that matter to God. Oh, crushed him. Yeah, and so, so, so here's the real problem with the wealthy person. Uh, if they're not generous, they've put the, they they bet on the wrong horse. Yep. Right. So you know, like when you see, I can't think of a good example right now, but you see like wealthy people who spend money on really stupid things. Yeah. And you're like, you idiot! Like if I was wealthy, I'd use my money way better, and like this way it would be way better. We'll push that push that further, and what the Christian wants to say is that. The real wealth is not anything that this world tells you it is. If you, Jesus is infinitely rich and he's infinitely poor, uh, because he's he is rich in what matters to God. 
and that and what that is is eternal life. And so this is why Jesus is poor is that love empties you. And so if we're going to go to heaven, and this is Elizabeth to get back to your question, I think there's so many other passages about this, right? In in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's still in Matthew 6, I think. Jesus talks about how you cannot worship God and mammon, right? Um, And in that that same section here, let me turn to that really quick. Uh, Here in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. He says, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Very similar to Luke 12, right? Mm-hmm. Storing treasures. Yep. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. So here's the thing. Jesus says you should store up treasure but in the right place. And last comment I think here for me is there's a great book on this. If you ever want a great book, it's again, it's not an easy read this little book called charity from Gary Anderson that changed my life. Gary Anderson is a Catholic scripture scholar at Notre Dame used to teach at Harvard and Yale on and on and on. Uh, But here's the deal. How do you store up treasure in heaven? This guy, when I read this book, helped me see this. I I was like, I'd read that passage a million times. Yeah. And I was like, wait, Jesus thinks we can store treasure in heaven. How's that possible? And this is a much longer, maybe another podcast we could dive in deeper on this and we have more time. The answer is, is almsgiving. Ooh. And the, the, that section of Matthew chapter six is drawing very heavily from the book of Sirach and Tobit, uh, which very interestingly, uh, Protestants don't have either of those books yeah. in their Bibles but they are, they are central to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. Another proof that they should be in our Bibles. But um, in Sirach and Tobit, uh, as the Old Testament draws to kind of its conclusion leading up to Christ, Jews came to understand that almsgiving was a way of storing treasure in heaven. It was a way in Tobit. The book of Tobit is all about this. It's a way it actually expiates your sins. And sorry, I always say last word, but hopefully this is the last word. The reason for this is because this is what we beg for from God. Yeah. So when we ask God for mercy, we're asking for something that we don't deserve and have no claim to. And this is why mercy becomes almost a synonymous word for almsgiving in Greek. Uh, uh, And so when a poor person needs help, in a certain sense, they're asking for you for your mercy. And so when we give alms, alms means more than your tithe is what goes to the church, your normal 10%. Alms is above and beyond that, and it goes strictly to the poor. When we give alms to people who need help, poor people, we're doing for them what we hope God does for us when we die. As I'm saying, God, I'm poor. I need, will you be merciful? You need to I have lots yeah. of sins. I have, I don't deserve your mercy, but would you please be merciful to me? That's what we do when we give alms. And this is why almsgiving was, this is a whole nother podcast, was central to the life of the early church and the medieval church. We've kind of lost it in the modern church. So Elizabeth, money is not evil, but it is dangerous. And there's a temptation for us to worship it. 
So you've got to take care of your family. If you build up wealth because you're virtuous and live a good life, I, we know some great Catholics out there and you got to be, you've got to put your wealth towards things that truly matter. So it's how, what you do with it. Yeah. And be careful as well. Yeah. Everybody always says, oh, if I were wealthy, right. I would, I would <laughs> give all my money to the little sisters of the poor. Yep. The hell you would. Right. Maybe right. you would, you know, me, I would buy a mansion on Maui <laughs> yeah. and I hope I would on the side assuage my guilty conscience, you know, but money's tricky and we've, yeah. we've got to, it needs to be sacrificed to God. So checking in on the power of it, that it has a, that it's stronghold. It's so it easy to deceive ourselves. Yep. It's so yeah. with all those sins, it's easy to deceive ourselves. So be smart about it, but, um, don't worship money. Yeah. And I know you don't have, I always say when, when I preach about this, I always think of Scrooge McDuck, yeah. you know, like Elizabeth, you probably don't have like a bag full of Benjamins in yep. your pillowcase that you sleep <laughs> on, you know, pull them out and like, you know, rub them on your face and like, I love you, Benjamin. Yep. You know, I bet you don't do that. None of us probably do that. But I think. Be careful. I think we worship money in ways that we just are so blind to. Yeah. I know I do so. Elizabeth, thank you for the reminder. Um, it's powerful. I would love to dive into the almsgiving portion too. Yeah. And, and the mercy aspect. Yeah. It's, it's whole, powerful stuff. It yeah. really is. Um, okay. I've got a lunch to go to. So a little bit shorter today. Normally I have about another 23 minutes. But People only listen to the first quarter anyway. That's so right. So we're perfect. Anyway. Thank you for staying yeah. the whole time. Um, please email us questions, rant at Lord's Denver. We've got a few in there. So we're stockpiled. Um, and thank you for all the comments. We'll see you next week. Peace out. <laughs> Cub Scout. <laughs>